Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhetoric. Berto Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have what for you? A great show for you today. And it starts. I have a video of uh, uh, actually it's my brother-in-law who just wrote a book on highways. He called it the humanizing of highways that I'm going to play. But before that, I want to start with a major rant and it comes from the headlines in on vice news it's and this is more important than people realize especially now and i want you to i want you to hang with me on this because this is important and the title of the article uh, actually it's it's an article of an article of an article it's a you know that's what we do uh we you know somebody gets the main news and uh, could they do a lot of the research and put some of the stuff together and a lot of other ancillary journalists, bloggers, etc. pick up the news. So I'm going to get there and explain what I'm talking about in a minute. But let me go ahead at the same time and put the story on the screen. And beforehand, 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 let me welcome my peeps. Lee Grant is in the house from Montgomery County. We also have Paul Fleming in the house, Paul Fleming Sr., from Atlanta, Georgia. We have Bridge MCP from Binghamton, New York. It's upstate New York. We've got May Wood from Long Beach, California. We also have Michael Rodnan from uh, Brooklyn, New York. We also have Eric Hayes right here from Kingwood, Atascocita. We also have Yvette Avery Herod from Atlanta, Georgia. We also have Bruce Pollard, my brother from another mother in Kingwood, Texas. Uh, what happened to you talk today? Uh, actually, you talk today was not uh, you talk was on today, but instead of Steve Hunter doing it, it was actually Tony Diaz. Steve uh, has been going through. I think he had a doctor's appointment or something like that. And I came on a little. I, I came on before I came on in case Tony Diaz didn't make it to the studio in time. But um, he did eventually make it to the studio about five, ten minutes late. So after Sandy uh, and uh, Marlo was done pitching. I could go on my merry way, but I was going to do the show if he didn't show uh, Bruce. But uh, he'll be—he uh, should be back on Monday. Anyhow, Michael Rudden says New York Times: A U.S.-built spacecraft lands on the moon for the first time since 1972. The robotic lander was the first U.S. vehicle on the moon since Apollo 17 in 1972. Doesn't seem that long, does it? The closing chapter in humanity's astonishing accomplishment of sending people to the moon and bringing them all back alive. That is a feat that has not been repeated or even tried. I don't even think with the, with the way corporations work today, if we can do it in any. I, I mean, that's another subject. The lander named Odysseus and a, a, a bit bigger than a telephone booth uh, arrived in South uh, in the South Polar region of the moon at 623 p.m. Eastern. And uh, let's see, the launch was part of the new space race, but this time against China instead of against Russia, as it was in the 60s and 70s. We really need to double uh, NASA's budget and see what that would uh, do to our nation. But this, I don't know who paid for this, but I know it wasn't NASA proper, I think, doing all this work. I think it was a private company, which I think is a big, big, huge mistake. Because if it's a private company doing it, if they don't see any value in it after some shareholders see a few things, they can just say, ah, to hell with it. We're not doing this anymore. 
while if it is a country through the NASA and our government that makes a commitment, that isn't something that we have to worry about. There are things that do not belong in the private sector. I mean, what we've done for decades is we've had the govern government, our government, we the people, administer space exploration and all that technology that was developed in the public domain, meaning that we developed it as we the people, other companies throughout the country was able to use that public domain product to build a lot of stuff, right? But now when you delegate one company that has all the rights, et cetera, to do to use the technology and go to, to space, that technology is unicorporal. And I think that is the, the most terrible thing for our, uh, that we could ever do, given that no, we cannot go to space without the composite knowledge of all Americans. And I mean, whether you are a janitor, a secretary, a school bus driver, I don't care who you are. Part of your part of your being to society gets us to the moon. But under the capital structure, who cares about what you think? Who cares about what you produce? Who cares that absent your work, none of this could have been realized? I don't care what your work is. You're part of society and part of what moves us forward. Paul Fleming says courts in America have counted corporations as people, frozen embryos as people, but at one point, black people as three-fifths human. Amazing, isn't it? And while we are, black people are no longer three-fifths of a human, that is a letter of the law, but the actual implementation of laws says otherwise for Black babies, brown babies, Palestinian babies, and all of that, they just don't count as much. So while Brother Fleming is correct that at one time we were three-fifths of a person, I may add some caveats, and that is while not in the letter of the law, in the actions, in what we consider important, it still applies. Because some lives in America, uh, some lives in the Western world, are in fact worth more than others. And uh, anybody wants to refute that, you can always give me a call at 281-823-7747. Again, that number is 281-823-7747. All right, let's see. Paul Fleming says, breaking on MSNBC, New York Turk, uh, clerk has just entered the judgment signed by Justin Engorong. The total disgorgement and interest for Donald Trump is $454,156,783.05. And tomorrow it will be about $110,000 more than that. Mike Cisak says, without clear guidance for the Supreme Court, House Democrats suggest that they might become insurrectionists and not certify a Trump win on January 6th. Any Democrat that uh, says that the, the deserves a whipping. So, um, hey, uh, validate that. But uh, I, I would love to see who would possibly say that if Donald Trump wins the Electoral College, that Democrats won't certify that election. If Donald Trump wins the Electoral College in 2024, then in 2025, 
he will be the president of the United States. Maybe the last president we have in a while, but he will be president of the United States. All right, uh, Michael Ronesa Zegberto, the skip sentence. We've lost the spirit of exploration and adventure that helped build our country. I agree. I agree. I agree. All right, but Bridge MCP, we missed you yesterday, my dear, beautiful Bridge. Where were you? I was going to send you a text, but honestly, I forgot. Such a snake, the reason for Trump trying to delay case in New York. Midas touch host Ben uh, Miselas uh, reports on Donald Trump's attempt to change his business address from New York to Florida before the judgment against him was entered by Justice Angoran. <laughs> All right, continue. Let's see. Uh, let's see. The judge gave funds to Willis. Really? Uh, wow. All right, Breed. Trump isn't getting away. He's going to pay what he owes. Newsweek, New York Attorney General Letitia James is asking a judge to block Donald Trump's from changing his business address from New York to Florida, arguing that his executives carry out business activities of the Trump organizations at Manhattan's Trump Tower. In a Thursday letter, James urged Judge Art, uh, Arthur Engeron to reject defendants' attempt to change the business address of the six entity defendants at uh, uh, Florida. As the record established, those entities are located in Trump Tower at 725. Uh, Fifth Avenue in New York, the office building which the executives who carry out the business activities of those entities work. Trump owes New York State almost $254,000 million, including interest after a civil fraud trial on charges that he inflated his wealth on financial statements to deceive banks, insurance, and others. Engeron uh, handed down the $355 million verdict last Friday. But that figure goes up 87502 every day that the former president doesn't cover the bill. James has said she plans to see some of Trump's asset if he fails to pay. And that number, I think, has changed from 87000 to $110,000 now. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and say Lee Grant says uh, Trump came out as pro-IVF. Yeah, Trump goes. He does this. What? Where's the wind blowing? Where is the conservative wind blowing? Where's the conservative? Oh, it's here. I better rescind my order to the conservatives in uh, the court to get rid of IVF. Oops, I got to change my mind. Mike C. Sexus in New York judges in violation of the Eighth Amendment. It's likely that Trump could go immediately to scut us for appeal on such grounds. Really? Isn't that the one that says on, uh, I think that's the one that says they can't seize your property or something like that, right? Uh, anyway, well, that's not seizing your property, though. That's taking your bill, that's paying your bills. And by the way, if you don't pay the bill for your car, whoever defended those people who didn't pay their bills for their car when the repo guy came and take the car? Whoever went against the banks when the banks came to repossess your home? Hmm. I don't think we always want to protect the billionaire, but we never protect the average American citizen, right? Welcome aboard, Carl Cox from uh, Carl Cox. You're in Florida, right? I think you're what, what part of Florida are you, Carl Cox? Carl Cox says here, going on to graduate on 51724 <laughs> with a Bachelor of Arts in Indisciplinary Studies, will attend ceremony. I am 71 years old. Took me a long time, but I did it. Hey, Carl Cox. Why don't you call into the program right now? 281-823-7747. We want to congratulate you right away. 713, I mean, 
I'm so proud of you, Carl. Remember we all when you were thinking about dropping out, we said, nope, you're going to do it, brother. You are going to do it. And Carl Cox, you did it. You did it. Mike C. says, eight amendment, cruel and unusual punishment. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed. Not cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. But this is not excessive. This is what he owes. Again, this is not a fine. This is what he owes. This is what he defrauded New York of. He defrauded New York. Don't you get it? He defrauded New York. He defrauded the banks. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. Think about all the taxes that he would have had to pay if things were right size. Come on, man. All right. Carl Cox says Riverdale, Georgia. So you're in Riverdale, Georgia. I'm glad to hear Riverdale. I got to remember that. Riverdale, Georgia, Riverdale, Georgia. Hey, congratulations, my friend. Uh, E2247 says day number 140 since 7 October. At least 29,514 Palestinians killed, 104 persons more than yesterday, 69,616 wounded, 283 uh, persons more than 48 hours ago, equal 99,130 casualties. That is the genocide that is currently occurring in Gaza under the behest of Benjamin Netanyahu. All right, uh, let's see. Mike C, no, actually, I'm, I'm on a, Mike C, this isn't a fine, it's a judgment. Meantime, can you show me any of your old FB previous posts from before this month where you defended the Eighth Amendment before? Partisan hack, going with right-wing bubble, talking points, never thinking for himself. You know, think about it, think about it, brother. Uh, no, Eric, the bills weren't paid. He lied to the banks. What that means is a bank's lost money. Because had he right priced what he uh, what he told the banks, they would have either lent him less money, which means there would have been more money available for that bank to lend otherwise, or they would have charged a higher interest rate because he didn't have as much money to cover his debt. So that's where it's at. I tell you what, guys, I am going to do my rant after I let you listen to my brother-in-law and what he has to say about highways. And then we'll go into my rant. I, I feel I, I feel that I, I, I need to do that. So let's go ahead and get started right away. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. Today, we are as part of our People Making a Difference series. We're here with Arturo Jacobo. There may be a little bit of nepotism <laughs> here because Arturo es también mi cuñado. Arturo is my brother-in-law is married to my sister, but he wrote a book. We talk about freeways. We talk about a lot of these things and we never know how things come to pass. Well, he was in charge of a major project in the San Diego County and he wrote a book titled Humanizing the Highway. And I can't show it very well because of the blur, but it will be put in there just well. Anyway, Arturo Jacobo, how are you doing today, my brother? Arturo, a pleasure uh, you know, talking to you. Doing well. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me to your uh, program. It's, it's, uh, I'm excited. Uh, it's, it's what I've done, you know, highway design for over 30 years, almost 35. So I'm happy to be, I'm happy to see you. And I'm happy to discuss a little bit about my book. Yeah, well, let me, let me say, I mean, you say it's about your book, but your book tells a story. Your book tells a yes. story of the incept of uh, coming to fruition, a highway system coming to fruition. Tell me, how do you start 
building a highway? I mean, or, or, or modifying a highway, changing things around? Ah, that's a great question, Berto, you know? Um, so, you know, first of all, my book is intended not just for engineers. My book is intended for planners, for engineers, for environmentalists, and for the public in general. And so, um, generally speaking, you know, um, organizations have, um, transportation organizations have general plans to look into the future, right? And in those plans, they always have the proposed improvements for the region. And whether that's rail, whether that's highway, whatever it may be. In my case, um, as you mentioned, I worked on a very controversial project in the San Diego region. And so I dedicated well over um, 20 years on, on this project. So when we completed it, I wanted to document how did we came about of, of having a controversial freeway-only project to eventually be championed by the elected officials, by the community, by the environmental resource agencies. And so the, doc, the book is, it really has two main purposes. The first one is to document or to uh, describe the process and the strategy by which this project came to be championed by, by you know, all these people. And the second part is to show the urban design elements and the um, ideas that came out of working with the elected officials and the resource agencies in the community. So that is the main purpose of the book. Um, and so just to give you an idea, right, as I mentioned, the, the, the project initially was only a highway project. It was extremely controversial. It Why was, was it controversial? The project. So and it was controversial because it went through six different cities, six uh, coastal cities in San Diego County, uh, cities that for the most part are very affluent. Uh, people are very involved in the communities, politically speaking. You know, they attend all their meetings. We also went through a couple of communities that were low income. In addition to that, the project crosses six environmentally sensitive lagoons. These are lagoons that back in the 1960s, you know, the California Department of Transportation, they did the alignment, they cut the hill on both sides of the lagoons, and they dumped the dirt in the middle of the lagoon. So they were choking the lagoons over the past 50 years. So the project was not popular at all at the beginning. So what we did, you know, um, it was obvious to us that improvements are needed. You know, I am of the belief that in order to solve the congestion problems, it's not just highway that is going to resolve the congestion that we have. You're going to need multiple elements. So the strategy that we did was the following. Um, it really involved four uh, major documents. But the main one is something that um, we call it the Public Works Plan Resource Transportation Enhancement Program. What that is, is simply a long-range development plan. It's a plan that a lot of universities use, a lot of cities use it. And it's really to plan ahead for the future. You know, you don't always have the money to do it all at once. But it is to say, you know, over the next 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years, this is what we are going to do. In our case, what we did was to do this um, public works plan, which is really a, a, a plan that involves a well-balanced approach of solutions. And so the idea was don't just do a highway project, do a multimodal project. So what we did, we're doing highway improvements in terms of carpool lanes. We're doing rail improvements in San Diego. The, um, the rail line that goes along the coast, for the most part, was single track. That meant that cargo trains, uh, Amtrak, and the local uh, commuter train that we known as a coaster, they had a lot of limitations. You couldn't increase the frequency. You know, many times when you're taking the coaster or the Amtrak, you have to wait at the station 
until the cargo train passes or the other train passes, then you can go. So the idea was, the idea was well, let's finish the double tracking of the corridor from downtown San Diego all the way to the Orange County line, which is at the north of north of San Diego line, uh, county line. And then the third approach was, let's also do community improvements. Let's do a complete bicycle lane for the entire 27 mile, uh, mile long of the project. And the fourth component was an environmental component. You know, let's, we, we propose, let's do a complete mitigation package for all these improvements. Now, the entire package is over $6 billion. The region does not have $6 billion. They will over the next 40 years. So we propose improvements to be done in a 10-year increments. And so some highway, some rail, some bicycle improvements, some community improvements. But here was the key. The mitigation for all of that is taking place within the first 10 years. And that mitigation included over 250 acres of new wetlands that were created across the six lagoons. It included the restoration of the San Alejo Lagoon, which is a, uh, a lagoon that is approximately almost a thousand acres. Wow. So, you know, it's multiple improvements that every brand, everyone liked. Um, and for the lagoons in this case, and that is in addition to the mitigation and the creation of the wetlands, was doing, you know, cleaning all the water. All the water that, you know, was currently was coming from the freeway into the lagoons, into the different streams that fed into the lagoons, which eventually ended up in the ocean. You know, all that water is being treated so that it's clean by the time it gets to the lagoon. How did you and do so, how did you how did you clean water coming from a freeway into a lagoon before it gets to the ocean? You know, there's different elements. Really, the key component is doing something that the, the, the easiest thing is to have bioswells. And bioswells is basically, you know, on the side of the freeway, you do like a channel that is lined with natural vegetation, like with uh, grass. And then that is, you know, all the sediments are contained. You also put traps that you can clean. And so by the time the water gets to the other end, and depending on the amount of water, you know, it may be 100 feet, 200 feet, a lot longer. By the time the water gets discharged into the lagoon, then it's clean water. So you can do it through natural vegetation. There's also some mechanical elements that you can put in. So all this gained us the goodwill of the resource agencies. In addition to that, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, the, um, the lagoons, for the most part, they're about a mile long. The freeway through the lagoons is about half a mile, half a mile long or so. It's different for each of the six lagoons. Well, in the 1960s, like I mentioned, all the soil was dumped into the middle of the, the lagoon, and the bridge was only the existing bridges range from 200 to maybe 400 feet. So one of the issues um, that the resource agencies brought up is, well, you know, you have to remove um, the, the entire field, the entire um, highway over the lagoon should be a bridge, an open bridge. That would have killed the project financially because, I mean, right. each of those bridges would have easily been $200 million a piece. So what we did, we hired some um, very um, uh, intelligent people from the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. They modeled the lagoon, uh, each of the six lagoons, and they said, you know, um, what would it take to restore the tidal flush on both sides of the freeway? And I, I neglected to mention that the freeway is located anywhere from a mile to a half mile from the ocean. Right. So when the waves come in, they, you know, they, they were hitting the freeway, but they were getting muted because they couldn't cross the, uh, the, the freeway the, on the other right. side of the lagoon. Right. So what, what these experts did, they model all the hydro hydrology uh, of the tidal waves of the lagoon. You know, there's something they call the king tides or 
they assumed the worst case scenarios and they said, well, instead of having to remove the entire fill from the lagoons, you only have to double, in some cases, triple the existing length of the, of the lagoon so that the uh, water can go to the other side of the freeway and flush the lagoon in and out. And to, by doing that, they create life on both sides of the lagoon. Right. So things like that that we did. Now, when we're doing that, then we said, well, um, the lagoons, you know, they're natural lagoons. People like to go there, hike, walk with their families and so on. Well, a lot of the trails, they couldn't cross east, west, or north-south because the freeway is right there, right? right. But since we had to go and work in each of those of the lagoons, we said, well, um, how, what can we give back to the community? So we went and um, made each of those. We, are, we made one bridge, two bridges long already. But basically, since every bridge has to get replaced, we're going to make those bridges longer and put in trails so that people can go east, west, north, south of the lagoons, completing a complete loop. Um, what we did to, 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 you know, to arrive at this decision, we looked at each, uh, each of the cities. Every city has a long-range community plan. Sometimes they call it um, development plans. They, it has different names, but all those plans, it's, it's the vision of each city for the future, how are they going to grow? It has a circulation element slash mobility element. It has some parks and recreations element. So we looked at them, it has a trail element. And that's where we noticed, hey, the freeway is the impediment for right. a lot of these trails and bicycle lanes that the people, that the cities want to connect. I mean, there are trails and bicycle lanes that came from East County in San Diego. They came you know, through the county, through each of the local cities to get to the freeway you can get across. Right. They have to go into the real normal street. So it just made sense for us to do that, that people love that. So as I mentioned, that that, that was a strategy to do a multimodal approach, highway, rail, environmental improvements, and community improvements. Now, you said that this took you, uh, because this was your project, a $6 billion project, and you've been working on this project for over 20 years. And... And in, in the process, what you did is you create relationships. You created relationships between uh, not text California dot whatever is it that you call yeah. it, the California Department of Transportation, yeah. along with not only the political people, but the civic organizations in the cities. And that's why you call it humanizing the highway, a case exactly. study. Because again, and folks, that that that's important thing. When we see freeways being built. We don't know what's behind the scenes. Sometimes we wonder why it's taken 10, 15 years. In your case, you said, there's no way you're going to come up with $6 billion in five years, but over 20, right. 30 years, you're going to be able to go ahead and do that. Now, the pro first of all, the project is complete, correct? Or nearly complete? It's, it's on the, the first phase, on, it's on the construction. All the mitigation has taken place. The first phase of the project, which is a billion dollars on the highway and about a billion dollars on the railroad, it's, it's, it's complete. And it will continue well beyond uh, my, my professional career. Yeah, and but, and, and now 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 that that it is done and that you've seen, do you feel do you see other communities working in this form or other uh, other projects taking the approach that you took in making sure you had complete involvement of both the politicians and the community? Yes. So that's what's happening. And that is a very the, the key. I think this project would have never been as successful without bringing the elected officials, the resource agencies, and the community together. Because what we did, um, you know, before, during the design phase, 
we actually went to each of the cities and we asked cities, um, you know, can we work with your um, uh, city planner, city engineer uh, to brainstorm ideas? And then can we get a, a few people of your community involved to create ideas in terms of, you know, what else can we do? We have a highway project, we have a rail project, but what else are you missing? And we came up with all these ideas that we already had, all these missing trails, missing connections. And what we did further, we really tried to get the character of the community into the design of the freeway. And this is what I mean by that. For example, in the city of Oceanside, a city at the north end of, uh, of San Diego, that city was already established when the freeway was built in the 1960s. When we looked at the city hall and we, when we looked at other public buildings, they were all designed by an architect at the turn of the last century by the name of Irving Gill. And so what we did, we took that design from the city hall, from the public buildings, and we tried to reflect that into the design of the bridges, into the right. design of the retaining walls, into the design of the sound walls. So the, the freeway itself, the structures, represents the community character in it. At the south end of the corridor, where we go through a lot of um, areas that were more rural or areas that have been developed after the freeway was built, there's a lot of uh, geological formations that are called sandstone formations. Well, in this case, all the walls have an earth tone color. Uh, color. They have pilasters and they're natural and kind of rough looking to uh, try to resemble some of the natural formations. So the people really like that. And so what we did is, you know, we incorporate all this, we put all this into the, what we call the design guidelines. And these design guidelines are going to guide the design of the book, uh, of the freeway, sorry, and of the rail corridor, and of the bike lane for the future, for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, in addition to that, all that is in the actual environmental document. So all the permits that we had to get, because we had to get a permit from everybody, from Fish and Wildlife, from, you know, the water from the California Coastal Commission in, in California. So future generations of engineer, planners, and environmentalists, they will have to abide by what we uh, all, all, all the information that we have in the design guidelines, which was developed in working with the communities that's not to say that they don't have to go back to the communities. Every project that goes to construction, we have to go back, or in this case, they have to go back now and you know, brief city council and work with the communities to let them know this is coming up and we are being consistent with what was developed in the past. The idea is that when we are all complete, that it's, so, that it's all seamless. It all works well. You, know, you have your rail line, you have your highway, you have your bike lane, you have your uh, mitigation package and the community enhancements, but it's, it's all tied together. And so that's why the community liked it because um, they were able to see, first of all, that we took the effort in researching their own community to see what's important for them. Then we asked city council, let us work with your community, which we had members working with them. Now that can be a little bit controversial because some of the ideas were very wild. I mean, there's always a lot more ideas than what there's funding for. So funding is limited. And sometimes you have to work with people and make them understand, look, and this is kind of a wild example. You don't want your city to have purple retaining walls and the next city to have pink retaining walls. It has to all match together. Also, you know, there were some good ideas. Some cities wanted, for example, cover the entire freeway and put a, 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 a uh, park on top of it. It's been done. In fact, it's been done in San Diego. In Phoenix, it's been done yeah. in other cities. Yeah. It's yeah. a great idea, except that Expensive. financially, it's not feasible, you know? So instead of what we did, 
because the project did require some right away impacts of people to be relocated. But in most cases, you know, um, you don't need the entire property. You just need a section of the property. So what we did, um, especially at intersections, um, once we got the property that we needed, we said, well, instead of selling half of the property, basically selling a house with no backyard, why don't we just go ahead and demolish the house and create a small park or an open space area for your community? It, it just it just makes sense. So you just have to listen to people, the community, to see what's important for them. In a lot of cases, also in researching the community plans, you will see that you will have a job center or a school on one side of the freeway and all the houses were on the other side. Well, people have to cross the freeway. And, you know, the first line in, in, in my book is freeways are not popular. And we understand why, especially for pedestrians and for bicycles. It's a loud environment. It's busy. You know, it's not always considered safe. But since you have to cross it and you have all this um, movement of pedestrians, well, since you have to reconstruct the bridge, make okay. the sidewalk wider. Don't make it just four feet. The standard is four feet in California. I'm sure it's four feet in other parts of the country. But if you have a school on one side, make it eight feet, make it 12 feet, which we did in some cases, you know, put a barrier between the street and the sidewalk. And while you add it, put enhanced landscaping. The, the Department of Transportation has standard landscaping that we would have the, 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 the state maintains. But we asked the local city, hey, at these intersections, do you want us to do enhanced landscaping? As long as you maintain it, we can put it in. Put in lights so that it's not dark going under the bridge. You know, put in uh, community art, so which we did with a couple of the cities working with 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 the arts commission, the arts commission in each of the cities. There's a few intersections, three so far, where they wanted to put community art on the retaining walls under the freeway. It just makes sense. And you know, that's when you go under the freeway. If you go over the freeway, most places you see those pedestrian bridges. You have this ugly chain link fence. Well, don't do that. Put in other kind of fence, you know, make it so that the uh, the barrier matches the color of the bridge and matches the color of the retaining walls. And instead of a chain link fence, put some other kind of, you know, cartoon steel, which we're using in, a, in some cases. It's more aesthetically pleasant. And again, it's, it's just working with the community and seeing, you know, what's best for them. And surprisingly, it's not that much more money once you have to build it. You know, um, I, I do. A, we we do a lot of talk here about uh, yes. uh, relationships with government, etc. And and uh, the Department of Transportation is an important part of our government. And having uh, engineers like yourself and others really get the work done proves what we all know, and that yeah. is, uh, first of all, good government works. And uh, you proved that. And with this book that you wrote, humanizing. The Highway, a case study by Arturo J.G. Jacobo, professional engineer. I want to thank you so kindly, first of all, for writing the book. And just tell us, first of all, where can people get your book? Ah, thank you, Brito. The, uh, so the book, you can um, it's um, being sold through Barnes and Nobles. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can go there and um, Google it by the name of the book, Humanizing the Highway. Or you can Google by my last name, Jacobo, J-A-C-O-B-O. And so you will find it there. Also, all of the profits, it's a nonprofit book. All of the profits generated from the book are being donated 100% to the California Transportation Fund for scholarships 
for the children of those of those unfortunate children who have lost their mom or dad uh, while while in service to the state. So um, that's 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 where the money will be going to. Arturo Jacobo. This book is Humanizing the Highway, a case study. Thank you so kindly for having appeared on uh, People Making a Difference on Politics Done Right. Thank you so much. Community involvement works. Thank you, Brito. As, as Arturo said, community involvement works. You know, when, when he, saw, when he uh, did this book and I read the book, I'm like, well, you know, we're a political show. And, uh, but I have this thing where I, a, a segment on my website called People. Let me go ahead and show, pull it up for you guys to see uh, where I talk about people doing good deeds. So in, in this section of my website, it's called uh, uh, People Making a Difference. And here we have Angelina Lawson, who's done some good work in the community. Uh, she worked on a progressive board. We also have the humane side of the immigration policy, a spoken word by some activists out of Austin, Texas. You guys should check that section out of my website sometime. Savannah Smith, who went to Cameroon and did some great positive work out there. Uh, she actually danced ballet with my daughter several years ago. Brianna Brial Ringer, who is a uh, an activist and also a uh, yoga and wellness type woman. We also had Patricia Esteves, who was out there doing some work in community, in the Latin American communities. We had, uh, uh, um, I forgot her name now, uh, but I, I went to interview her. Uh, then we have Keisha, who did, Keisha was actually an Oprah. She saved this white guy that uh, from the KKK that was about to get slaughtered in, 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 a, in, a, in a place where he interrupted and she put her body in front of him. I meet with Keisha every so often. She just opened a restaurant in Crockett, had to leave again because the Trump people came after her. And then, of course, there's Ashley Mosley. Ashley, uh, Ashley well, I mean, a, a smart woman, speaks several languages, including Spanish. And um, it's amazing. She has a daughter that she has an immersion in Spanish right now. She lives in a in an uh, underprivileged neighborhood. And in as much as uh, she has the ability to live anywhere else, she said, I am staying in my community to make a difference. And now, of course, joining the, uh, the fold is Arturo Jacobo, which I apparently didn't label, uh, label it right. But he will be in uh, on the website as well as soon as I put all of that together. But anyhow, folks, um, uh, I want your stories too. I mean, if you're doing something in, com in, in the community, I want uh, Melanie Keelan is in the house from Barcelona, Spain. If you're doing something positive within your community, I want to highlight you and put you on my website as well. Um, I, 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 I like our good old Carl Cox, 71 years old, and he just completed his education is college education. Carl Cox, or he will be completing his education in May. I think that is an essential story for the community. A lot of folks are doing a lot of things older right now. I think we need to highlight uh, folks that, that have gone through the tribulation that brother Carl Cox has gone through to get his degree. And he needs to be highlight and highlighted and elevated for other people of his age to say, wow, if Carl Cox can do it, 
I can too. If you're working in your community, doing something, tell me your story. I want to interview you. I want to talk to you about it because you know what? We're a community and that is what matters. Later on, I'm going to be, I'm going to interview my own daughter again. Why? Well, she's a, she's a, a, a dual stroke patient, finished her medical degree, can't practice and is recovering right now. And you know what she's doing? She ha- is a men- she's mentoring at an elementary school. She's working with the Girls' Rights of Patch- Passage at church, doing positive things for society. We need to highlight people doing these things. But EGMCP, we need to talk about something that I know that you're doing as well. Anyway, folks, my rant, my rant is overdue. My rant is overdue. Vice. All of you know about Vice. It's a more. Uh, it, it's a uh, news rag. It's it leans sort of young, etc. But of course, you know the old fogies that run it are nothing more than I'm going to call them a whole bunch of wayward capitalists. What do I mean by that? Let me start reading the story, and it goes like this: Vice CEO. Bruce Dixon sent a memo to employees on Thursdays announcing that the company was laying off hundreds of workers and would no longer publish on its flagship vice.com website saying it was no longer cost effective to do so. This marks the latest round of layoffs in what is shaping out to be a brutal start to 2024 for the news industry. A total of 528 news workers were laid off in January, not counting more than 300 who lost their jobs when the messenger shut down on the last of the month. A day after the Vice News, Washington, D.C.'s NPR affiliate WAMU announced it was closing down its DCist uh, website and laying off 15 staffers. As Axios reported, though, it said it would add new positions in audio. It's, is it ethical to be teaching journalism right now? Scientific American senior medi- uh, media editor Tolika Bose asked on social media Thursday. That's a stupid question. Uh, however, I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, Tolika Bose. No, we do need journalism. Uh, Vice, and I don't care in what context you asked it, Vice, in particular, has faced numerous business difficulties on the last few years. At its height, the company employed around 3,000 people and was worth $5.7 billion, according to Variety. That was his capitalized value. Remember what I tell you about capitalism. That, uh, that bear no semblance of what that company was really valued at, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. But 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 it was capitalized at 5.7 billion. That means that capitalists went ahead and sell stocks into these businesses. In other words, they buy and share, they buy and sell these businesses. The, the, the reporters do the work, they sit at their desk, they get a salary, all of that. And somebody puts a capitalized value on that and start to sell that company as stocks and bonds, etc. And that's how it come up with $5.7 billion. And when somebody realized that, wait a minute, that company isn't worth no $5.7 billion when you add its assets up, when you add, add what it makes in income, et cetera, it's not worth that, right? And then it comes crashing down. And in as much as the people working at these companies are if, if it were just to pay the bills, the salary of those people, the required payments for the resources necessary to keep the company active, it would be solvent. 
but they don't care. The Vice and all these companies bought by venture capital and other type capital markets, the sole intent is to make a dollar for people who do very little or who do nothing. Um, I want to go to the, uh, by the way, so Vice is laying off a whole lot of workers, uh, you know, and these people make anywhere from $30,000 to 60 something thousand dollars on average. Okay. Now, now here, I want to read this part of the story on Hellgate. This is a reporter reporting at the story. And here's what he said. The leadership advice uh, the mortally wounded by its own managerial incompetence. And here's why. I worked for Vice for roughly three and a half years. But what I want to show is what he said. Meanwhile, a steady stream of, uh, I, I want to read the section that talks about the, the monies paid to the executives. For instance, the company's chief operating officer, Corey Hake, who came to Vice by way of Mike, took home. Hear this. Hear this, $726,000 between May 22 and May 2023, $726,000. Uh, the date of the vice bankruptcy filing folded into a sum was folded into that sum was a $45,000 bonus. Here's an executive getting a bonus for a company going into bankruptcy. And by the way, my, my contention is these companies don't have to go into bankruptcy. The bankruptcy is to protect the, 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 the people on, on the stock class, okay? But the, the, if they just went with the income that they bring in from ads, the incomes that they bring in from uh, selling their content, it would be enough to pay everybody. But I digress because I'm going to make a little story of this in the last five minutes. Uh, Chief Operating Officer. Uh, uh, Daisy Auger Dominguez, who wrote a book on the workplace inclusion revolution, but refused to give workers indigenous people's day off after Juneteenth, made it onto the official company calendar for the first time, was paid $748,000, $583 over the same time period, which included a 99, 99,000 retention bonus. You mean we want to retain her for failure, for a failed company? All right, but it doesn't end there. Then there's a chief marketing officer, Najda Belan White, who received $834,000 within that year, including a $128,700 bonus, again, for a company that's going under. So all these people made great money. All right. All of them made great money. But the peons, let, let's tell, let tell me tell you, I, I don't have the time to read this out. So let me tell you what else they did. There are a lot of tools that journalists use to build their stories. Okay. Let's give an example. There's a tool called Slack. It's very popular in the journalism uh, field. And that's how we communicate with each other. I'm in the Texas Grassroots Alliance. We communicate via Slack, right? We use Slack to exchange ideas, exchange papers, all that kind of stuff. Now, when you're a company like a news organization, you pay a fee to use that. But everybody in the world can use Slack for free if they don't use all the important features. Well, before they went under, 
They were using Slack for free. They were using all these tools that journalists use for free. But at the same time, they could pay these managers, these execs, hundreds of thousands of dollars when the licensing fee to use Slack is much less than that. On the order, uh, if, uh, per seat, I'm pretty sure it is more than $5 per seat per uh, per person. And for if, if you only have a thousand people using that, that's maybe $5,000 a month. That's max $60,000 a year. All right. Here is what I want to point out why I talk about how important independent media is. When we look at Vice, when we look at Mike, when we look at uh, MIC, that is, when we look at, uh, at uh, Telegram, when we look at all these businesses that have reporters out there on the beat doing work, right? And, and a lot of people look at Vice and think they're better kind of reporters than, let's say, the Times or Washington Post or whatever. No, they're younger. They're more vibrant. They cover different types of stories. But they do good work. And what's hurtful is this, that the good work that these people did didn't matter because it was never about the news. It was always about being a cost center, being, rather being an income center to capitalize on, meaning to, to raise money for a group of people who do absolutely nothing. I repeat, all these media companies, let's call what call them whatever you are. Every time you hear that a venture capitalist buys a newspaper, a venture capitalist buys a website, a venture capitalist buys any one of these things, they are nothing more than parasites because they are not there for the news. They are not there to say, uh, in the, as in the Walter Cronkite days, even though Walter Cronkite was sort of a stiff, they weren't there to say, we are here to make sure that the population has real good news. They're there for capital structure or they're there for a form of indoctrination. And let's correct, let, let me explain. My own network, Willie's Media LLC, it is comprised of EgbertoWillies.com, PoliticsDoneRight.com, uh, and a few other websites like, uh, 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 what is it, the, the one? I, I just drew a blank, uh, but Medicare for All and, and, and a few other websites. Okay, all these other websites. I pay for all these websites, populate all these websites with articles that I write in and out. Now I have, I also take third party content that Bruce Pollard, who is on the site right now, he will repost some third party articles from other companies that want me to post it on my site. And, you know, we do that. Uh, some other people carry my product, my, my articles. I carry other people articles, etc. But it's not very expensive to have websites. I'm talking about when, when Vice shuts down its website and says, it's not going to have a website anymore. What it doesn't tell you is what it really means is I don't want to spend money on my employees. I want to license the stories my writers write and just give it to uh, Newsweek, give it to all these other guys who already have a, a, a staff and let them just pay us. 
And in effect, then you're not paying the salaries of people that are doing your work. People, when I ask you, when I urge you to support small enterprises like Willie's Media LLC's Politics Done Right, EgbertoWillies.com, it is it the cost. The cost is going directly into informing. It's going directly into aggregating the good work of reporters all over the world that I may get information from to aggregate into a cohesive piece of knowledge to provide to you. And it irks one that you have these venture capitalists coming into companies like Vice and Mike and Telegraph. And, and these companies that have good young reporters, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 years old. And they're, they're what they see when they come into the journalism field is just a bunch of parasites that doesn't really care about the good work that they're doing, that they're out there truth telling, but just trying to make a dollar, a few people like these executives and the shareholders in these companies try to make a dollar on these people, these journalists and everybody's back. And they all do it. Remember when I told you that uh, while my website, one of the reasons that I was evil, that I left the software industry, wasn't just complete altruism, though altruism played a part, but the website was garnering enough traffic that with all our reduced expenses, hey, it's okay. The advertising would be fine until one day these confounded capitalists at Google, at Facebook, and all of them said one thing. Ah, we are going to change the algorithm. And by changing the algorithm, we are going to send traffic to those people who, you know, uh, Give us a reason to send it to them where there can be kickbacks, etc. And in one day, in one day, our income dropped, and I'm not kidding you here, folks, 90%. That's when we had to go to the um to the subscription model. That because 90%, and we're still recovering. After 10 years, we're still recovering from what the capitalists have done, who took over these, the way things work. And we see it happening over and over again. The only way we are going to be guaranteed to have reliable information providers is for us to pay for it ourselves, whether it be at KPFT, like many uh, people right now, I'm looking at KPFT and we're there in our fund drive, collecting money to keep that station on air, an independent station, or an independent network like Willie's Media LLC, which do podcasts, books, uh, vlogs, videos, everything. So while this may be to some extent self-serving, it is real. So what I want to ask my dear brothers and sisters to make sure to support not only politics done right, Willie's Media LLC, not only that, but other Truly, and notice what I said, truly independent networks. You may have Vice saying, oh, support us, whatever. 
you know, are, are don't no, 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 no. You want to know who are the kind of people you support? Common dreams that really works on your when it when you see that donation page come up, uh, that's a good thing. Even Daily Coast, even though Daily Coast kind of pissed me off a few weeks ago, but they really mostly work off of uh, contributions that people give, and that's how they can provide what they provide. The small deliverers of your news. So what I want to ask folks to remember, support us as well. Politics done right. And how can you do that? Politicsdoneright.com slash support. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. Another way, subscribe to our newsletter. Become a paid supporter of our newsletter. Politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter. It is free. So subscribe no matter what. But if you have the wherewithal, please become a paid subscriber, a coffee a month. It's pretty cheap. And with that, you allow us to do that much more. And then, of course, you can support us by getting our books. And guess what? I just released the paperback of my book, Tribulations of an Afro-Latino Caribbean Man. Racism Didn't Stop My Smile, Hope or Journey Forward. Please go ahead and go to politicsandright.com slash books and pick up a copy of this. You can pick it up either by, oh, Bridge MCP, broke from vet, but it's something. Hey, thank you so kindly, Bridge MCP. You are a continuous supporter of Politics and Right, for which I say thank you so kindly. And uh, uh, so I, I really appreciate all of you that support our, our, our program. But here is a book, Tribulations of an Afro-Latino Caribbean Man. I promise you, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. Uh, today, I was reading a chapter of it because I, I, I was writing a, a piece. And I said, let me go to that chapter and reread what I, what, what, I, you know, what I stated in it. But check it out. Tribulations of an Afro-Latino Caribbean uh, Man. Racism Didn't Stop My Smile, Hope, or Journey Forward. It is a good read. You can read it over the weekend, and we can talk about it on Monday. So go to politicsandright.com slash books. I'm going to stick that in there one more time. politicsandright.com slash books. Pick it up. Try it out. And, and then let's talk about it on Monday. But again, you can also subscribe to our newsletter, politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Did I close that screen? Apparently, I closed the screen. So I'm going to put all three links back in there again. I'm going to start by putting the support link in there first. Uh, secondly, I'm going, and we got to get out of here. The support link is there, politicsandright.com. So support to provide support. Uh, uh, the next link is going to be the newsletter link, politicsandright.com slash newsletter. And the last link of the day that I put in there is politicsandright.com slash books to support our books and specifically the new book that I wrote. Anyway, thank you so kindly, folks. You know, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto. Willies, this is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Oh! We 
spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.